Welcome. This is our first, the first podcast, Trad Men. How you doing, Jace? Oh, pretty good. How you doing, Mark? Oh man, I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I went to uh, Adoration this evening, and so uh, just just getting ready for the first episode. Um, I'm your co-host, Mark, and I'm the other co-host, Jason. <laughs> um. uh, a word a word of warning this is our first episode and the holy spirit is not working with the brain trust here i don't know why he he picked us but we are not two guys who are like the most tech savvy people in the world so if this if the sound quality isn't fantastic this this will get better the more of these we do we really hope you'll stick with us and and as as we go on this journey right uh, and you know as we talked before mark you know this is kind of a uh, creative outlet for us you know we we're gonna you know try to talk about many things uh, uh in regards to the church and tradition but however if we if we happen to say anything that is in contradiction to the the mad the official magisterium of the church you know we always want to have our listeners defer to the official magisterium versus you know us two yeah. guys on a podcast no absolutely if we if you hear anything heretical from us that's an accident and uh that that is not us intentionally trying to mislead you, um, and but and and that's one of the things about our podcast is neither Jason nor myself are professional theologians. We are not. Uh, we don't have advanced degrees in theology. We are two lay people who uh, attend the traditional Latin Mass, and we thought that this would be a podcast that would uh, and, and look at the Catholic Church from the eyes of a lay person and just sort of uh, take a different perspective so um and, and we were kind of thinking of what in the world to talk about and goodness jason whatever will we talk about what is <laughs> <laughs> well i mean there, there, there's quite a few things but i think there's mm. one that comes to the forefront right here yeah um, you know the motu propu by pope francis or I motu think, proprio I, think, I should say i think we're gonna have to talk about Traditiones Custodes. But before we do that, uh, we want to lead off with a prayer. Uh, and so we will uh, begin by asking the Holy Ghost to bless our endeavor and uh, hopefully uh, lead us to an edifying discussion. Uh, in nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancti Spiritus, reple tu ora corda fidelium et tui amoris in eis ignim acende. Imite Spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facim tere. Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium sancti spiritus illustrationi docuisti. Danobis iniorum spiritu recta sapere et de eos semper consolatione gadere. Per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Amen. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. The Holy Father wrote a motu proprio, Jason. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, kind of sent some shockwaves throughout uh, at least the traditional Catholic world. Right off the bat, what are your thoughts? Well, like... Uh, That's you know, a lucky question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where to start. 
I kind of uh, feel like a lot of the uh, the other, you know, uh, uh, podcasters or, or TV personalities feel, and even some of our bishops, I feel that, that there's a lot of ambiguity in this that is uh, can it create more confusion than it is going to uh, create unity, which, you know, Pope Francis said that was his intention in this. Um, mm. There's just a lot of questions that... Um, need to be answered and the fact that he didn't even give any any leeway in trying to interpret this document you know he said effective immediately um it it raises a lot of questions a lot of anxiety uh, among many of the faithful both traditional and uh you know novus ordo catholics yeah yeah uh i i've been thinking a lot about this and obviously Many, many Catholics around the world have been thinking a lot about this. And before I give you my take on it or kind of my interpretation or, or the way I've been approaching this, I, I, would, I would like to say something to any Catholics who are listening to this who have been feeling particularly hurt by this motu proprio and I think need maybe some words of encouragement because that I think there's a lot of folks out there who have come off of one of the strangest year and a halfs I've ever experienced in my 42 years on this earth in which many people lost their lives. Many people lost family members, many people, those who, you know, maybe they didn't get sick or they, you know, didn't get, maybe they're another family members died, but they lost jobs. They lost income. They, they lived through a year and a half of very radical uncertainty. And during this year and a half, the one place that they used to turn to for spiritual sustenance in difficult times was closed to them. Things started to come back to normal, and it was in this atmosphere that the Holy Father decided that now would be a good time to kick you in the teeth. I understand that you're feeling hurt. I myself felt personally attacked. And the reason I felt personally attacked, Jason, I think you and I have talked about this, is the motu proprio itself wasn't really an attack on the traditional Latin mass. He didn't say anything about the mass itself. It was about the people who attended. He doesn't and like was, you. And there was a lot of, in, in this uh, letter, there was also a lot of conjecture, not just on the actions of how the lay people act, but also the priests themselves. You know, a, a lot right. of uh, a lot of feelings that are not really true, at least in in my experience among the traditional circles. And that and that's I think I, I think it's more the point of exactly what I'm talking about, which is if there are if there are those of you out here, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, and you're close to walking away, and this was this was the thing, you throw your hands up and go screw it. I'm done. I'm done. I understand how you feel. You have every right to feel that way. You'd, you'd, it would be weird if you didn't feel that way. Please don't leave. Please don't, don't walk away because I'm, I'm telling you one thing and Jason, (laughs) the, what, the way this has played out over the last couple of weeks was not how Francis envisioned this. 
There is somebody no, who is there is somebody who is sweating over Traditionis Custodis right now, and it's Pope Francis. And as 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 much anxiety as you feel about this, I guarantee you, uh, he feels much uh, worse because um, I think what happened here, and this is sort of just my i don't i don't know this for sure this is just an outsider's view looking into the vatican of the way i've seen francis behave in the past and just the way this this whole thing has played out the priestly fraternity of saint peter issued a statement in the wake of this motu proprio that said they were surprised by this now that okay so here's here's how you interpret that or here's the way i interpreted that they weren't notified at all they had no warning, and therefore that means they contributed no input. And if they contributed no input, it's because no one asked for it. And you know, I, I was yeah, just go gonna add, I was just gonna add, you know, a lot of people will say, Well, there was many rumors circulating about something like this motu proprio coming out. Right. However, as we were told by one of our priests at our parish, we don't make decisions on rumor oh so, yeah it was actually so, the general superior of the fraternity who happened to be visiting who who uh that was his communication to us was you know we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna comment on rumor and we don't make decisions based on rumor you're absolutely right right and and with the whole the whole rumor yes in a way you can kind of prepare yourself uh maybe in some ways mentally or whatnot for this but but like you said, the fact that the fraternity was wasn't even consulted. Yeah, wasn't consulted. Not only is that surprising, but in many ways, it's also extremely, in my opinion, disrespectful um, to the fraternity. I mean, and and I'll and I'll grant you this: the Pope does not owe the fraternity any particular respect. The obligation obviously runs the other way. But here's what it tells me. Francis, in his own motu proprio, talks about how he had the, the, the survey among the bishops. So, essentially what you did is you talked to people who told you what you wanted to hear, and no one who told you anything you didn't want to hear. And I think what happened is he convinced himself that everybody thinks the same way he does, because he only talks to people who think the same way he does. But reality was a little bit different. Um, in fact, there are many bishops, in fact, I would guess the vast majority of bishops, who do not hate their own flock. And what the Pope essentially wrote with this letter is, hey, I want you to go out there and pick a fight with your own congregation because I don't like these people. And letter after letter after letter from episcopates all over the world are coming back and essentially saying, well, I don't hate these people. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily a traditionalist bishop, quote-unquote. I don't even offer the extraordinary form of the, of the Roman rite. But I love these people, and I'm not going to go in there and just kick them in the teeth because you don't like them. Everything's going to stay the way it is. And so now he's got a little bit of a mutiny on his hands. You had mentioned just recently that the surprise for which this is this has taken everybody, and that's that's unusual. The Vatican is noted for a place of being; they move really slowly. 
because right. you got to talk to theologians. You want to get expert opinions from these people and these people and these people. To, to issue a motu proprio about the traditional Latin mass and just not talk to the fraternity at all is very strange. It's, it's almost like, uh, well, it's just, it's just very bizarre that that would, would happen. And I think this has not had the effect he was envisioning. Well, you know, and I'll kind of add on to, to what I said a minute ago, you know, and, and I agree with you 100% that, that the Pope does not owe, um, you know, the fraternity or, or whoever an explanation or, or, forewarning or even consultation yes but you know just because something you don't have to do something doesn't mean there's a respectful and not respectful Absolutely. or right and wrong way to do it and i will add what, what i'm getting to is is the fact that with this the survey he he sent out does does the vatican or does pope francis have any obligation or or any any reason or, or forceful reason for them to to show us who was surveyed, no. But with the way things have gone, especially if it was an open and fair survey, mm-hmm. I I would think the the squash all this, you know, the rumor mills and the the angst and and unhappiness from Catholics from all sides of the aisle. I I would think that they would want to release that and. You know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but as of as of today, I I haven't seen any any movement on that on that survey being released. Well, I, I think it's also I think it's interesting. There are high ranking cardinals who have come out and said we have no idea what he's what survey. No one asked me anything. You know, that's very interesting. I, I'd like to, if I could, for just one second, read to you something that. Um, that I found particularly poignant. I'd like to take your temperature on it after I read it, so just bear with me. This is a short paragraph um, from something that I thought was particularly interesting. True wisdom demands an encounter with reality. Today, however, everything can be created, disguised, and altered. A direct encounter, even with the fringes of reality, can thus prove intolerable. A mechanism of selection then comes into play, whereby I can immediately separate likes from dislikes, what I consider attractive from what I deem distasteful. In the same way, we can choose the people with whom we wish to share our world. Persons or situations we find unpleasant or disagreeable are simply deleted in today's virtual networks. A virtual circle is then created, isolating us from the real world in which we are living. What do you think? Powerful words? Well, powerful words. Um, I think a lot, a lot more eloquently said than living in an echo chamber, because that's what it kind of made me mm-hmm. think of. Um, yeah. But no, no, definitely powerful, powerful words. Because if it, I, it, con- it continues on, and if, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to sit here and read through the whole po- podcast. I promise you, but I, I think this is interesting. Uh, the ability to sit down and listen to others, typical of interpersonal encounters, is pragmatic of the welcoming attitude shown by those who transcend narcissism and accept others, caring for them and welcoming them into their lives. Yet today's world is largely a deaf world. At times, the frantic pace of the modern world prevents us from listening attentively to what another person is saying. Um, I thought that was pretty particularly eloquent. And I think that points to the situation here. 
with Tradiciones Custodes. Would you be surprised if I told you that the author of those words was Pope Francis? That's from his recent encyclical Fratelli Tutti. So I think it's interesting that Pope Francis wants to know if we believe that Pope Francis is the Pope. Does he believe that Pope Francis is the Pope? I mean, in his encyclical, he tells us that we shouldn't do things like traditiones custodes. And then well, he does it to us. Well, there have been many, many things that have come out of this, this motu proprio that have contradicted several things that Pope Francis has tried to teach you know, tried to teach us through the years. And that's yeah. why that's why I brought up I, I believe it was me and you when we were uh together, you know, uh one night when we were when we were having a discussion. I think I mentioned to you, okay, Pope Francis, when he wrote this this motu proprio, yes, he you know, he's obviously responsible for it because it has his signature, his name on it. But you also start questioning what people does he have around himself that are also nudging him to make these decisions? Because we know there are many high-ranking uh, uh, Catholic officials that that want these things uh, in this letter to happen. You know, they want to get rid of the tradition of the church and act like the church started in 1970 or after right. the, you know, whatever year I might be off on my year by year or two, but whatever year, uh, Vatican II, uh, was finished. And, then, and, then, and yeah. then the new mass was, was enacted, I believe. Um, 1970. Yep, 1970. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, it, they want to ignore the church past that, that part you know, past that time period. And, and again, I mean, Pope Francis, he has said some good things like what you, what you read right there. I mean, those are, those are very good words because it's right. I mean, I, I know myself, I can be guilty of, of, uh, you know, just, just filtering what I hear, who I listen to, because we all have busy lives, stressful lives, family, kids, jobs, uh, you know, whatever it may be. So adding a a voice of dissent in your world usually is not a comfortable or uh, a comfortable thing to do or a thing that you want to do to add even more uh, stress or time consumption uh, uh, on you. Sure. You know? And it's not to say that, that you have to en engage with every single idea out there. It's not like well, you should feel bad if you don't have friends who are Nazis. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you don't you don't have to engage with every single idea. I think what the what 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 he was getting at here in Fratelli Tutti is, um, you you we need to get away from this idea of knowing what those people are all like. There are there is no group of people that are all like something. What the Pope could have very easy if he's very if he's worried about. Um, you know, particular uh, attitudes within the traditionalist movement, then there were very uh, concrete ways that that could have been dealt with um, from the bishops going down to through the priests down to the faithful. But instead, we just decided to kill the whole thing, which, and, you know, like you said before about our experience, uh, you and I attend uh, a, a, a priestly fraternity of St. Peter Parish here in Houston, Texas. Have you ever heard from the pulpit anything disparaging 
about our bishop, any bishop, or the Holy Father? I have never once heard anything. More times than not, he is exhorting us to amend our lives, to do penance, or to do whatever is necessary for us to become holy. And sometimes those uh, those actions include uh, 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 being respectful of the you know the Pope, uh, our Cardinal here uh, in Houston. Um, so no, we, we get more exhortations to to respect the the offices and the people in that office. That's all I've ever heard. All I've ever heard from the priests at our parish is that we should stay away from, you know, those groups and those websites that say disparaging things about the Pope. And I think that's one of the things that's been so difficult for this uh, about, it's been so difficult to me about this is, you, you know, I've always been the guy that stuck up for Francis, which has not made me many friends <laughs> in some traditionalist circles. But I don't want to say bad things about the Pope. I take no great pleasure in, in, in this document. You know, this is, this is not something I couldn't wait to get up there and trash the Pope. But this, um, I've never quite seen anything quite so hurtful. Well, I, I, I want to add something uh, to this. Um, in this uh, motu proprio from Pope Francis, he, he mentions in here that, you know, about the priest, the priest mm -hmm. should have should have at heart not only the correct celebration of the liturgy, but also the pastoral and spiritual care of the faithful. Right. Okay, we, we agree with that. And, and again, going back to this idea that... As traditional Catholics, as lay people, as priests, we reject, you know, we reject the the the, the Vatican. We reject the Pope, uh, some of the cardinals. We were talking about how good good our pastors are. Mm -hmm. I, I know we talked about this as well previously, but but I think it's a good example of showing both the pastoral and spiritual care of uh, of our priests. You know, we, we had an email during this whole uh, coronavirus when many of the churches were shut down all over the U.S., pretty much at one point, all of them. Mm -hmm. And there was an email floating around saying, let's protest at the Co-Cathedral. I remember that. For the way that that uh, things were handled. Well, f uh, Father got a hold of that. And instead of saying, yeah, go get them. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, guys, I don't, I don't think this is something that needs to be done. This is not the, the, the office of the bishop is not some political office in which we protest. Right. You know, e even if things weren't handled right, we don't need to be protesting them. We'd still, his words were, we still need to be respectful. And, 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 to, and, yeah, and, 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 to be fair, and it would have been easy for him to say, like I said, Go ahead, because I'm not happy with the way they did. No, he right. showed great signs of spiritual maturity by saying, my children, don't do that. Yeah, well, that, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. He said, guys, we don't do that. We don't do things like that. A, and I, and, and I will say this, we are incredibly lucky here in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. I believe that our Cardinal Archbishop has been very fair with us. 
and I, 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 I pray for, for him daily and I am very grateful for the, the charity that he's shown us in the wake of this. Um, here's, okay. So here's what I, what happened. I, when did you start coming to traditional Latin mass? Let's see. I believe it was the summer of 2019. Okay. I started going in the nineties. And so there's a, there's a historical thing that is, that is present here in this document. So when, when the, right in the wake of the second Vatican council, when the traditional Latin mass movement started, because they had told us you can't do it anymore. So this is in the, the first days of the founding of the society of St. Pius the 10th and some other groups um, that were not the society of St. Pius the 10th because the, the Catholic church had pushed us out to the margins. We picked up some marginal types while we were out there. And in the, in the eighties and early parts of the nineties, there were some groups and some individuals who were you, who were capitalizing on people's uh, dissatisfaction with the liturgical reforms of the Second Vatican Council to promote some ideas that didn't have anything to do with Catholicism, like for example, radical right wing politics, and I mean like neo Nazi type stuff. Okay, things that. And, and not that the traditional Latin mass has anything to do with neo-Nazism, but the neo-Nazi types were going to, you know, piggyback off of that, in other words. There was an element of that in the 80s and 90s. Not a huge element, not the majority of it, but they were there, and boy, were they vocal. And if you weren't a part of the movement, it was easy to look from the outside in and go, okay, well, that's what that movement is like. Interestingly enough, Samorum Pontificum seems to have eliminated a lot of that because the vast majority of people would rather go to the Latin Mass inside the bosom of Holy Mother Church than do it outside, okay? And so Samorum Pontificum, uh, a, a lot of that dried up entirely. The, the only thing that was kind of iffy was the, con the condition of the Society of St. Pius X. And by the way, if there are any uh, parishioners of the Society of St. Pius X churches, I love you guys. You guys are welcome on this podcast. Um, I think Marcel Lefebvre will be, history will, uh, uh, will prove that he was one of the greatest saints in the history of the church. Um, and so all that was left was for that situation to be worked out. The There were some characters who had made their way into the society of St. Pius X who were denying the Holocaust and, you know, using it to promote some weird ideas. And the society got rid of those people over time. And so now you wouldn't even know the difference between an SSPX parish and an FSSP parish unless you looked at the bulletin. Well, let me ask you this real quick. Let me interrupt you for a second. What, sure. what everything you've described how is that different than any other larger organization in the absolutely. world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any different. It I mean, isn't any different. And, and what I think has happened here is there are some old timers in the Vatican who still think that the traditionalist movement is exactly like it was in the 1980s. And that it's basically just a vehicle for these radical right wing 
politics. And so, you know, and what I don't think they don't, what they don't understand is you guys are, we're not the ones living in the past. You guys are. It's not 1982 anymore. It's not 1965 anymore. Don't quite know how to tell them that. But um, well, yeah. did you see that that tweet on Twitter about? And I remember the guy's name. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here. No, I didn't. If that, it's on Twitter, I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> he said uh, basically the 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 traditional Latin mass, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Basically, was a haven for white supremacists and it's a place where white people gathered to to get away. Right. And I and I read that and I'm like, well you sure haven't been to my parish. You haven't been to our parish. We have and I was telling my wife this the other day when I grew up in the Catholic Church and I I grew up in the 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 Novus Ordo, right? Um there was the 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 Catholic Church the Irish people went to there was the Catholic Church the Italian people went to there was the Catholic Church African Americans went to because we we do have a lot being this close to South Louisiana uh, and we are blessed and lucky to have them uh, there was the the Catholic Church that you know uh, uh, Latin Americans went to and never did anybody mix you didn't go to one of their Catholic churches and they sure didn't come to any of yours and I was looking at our parish i was looking at the pews last sunday and i was thinking we have the most ethnically diverse catholic church of any right i have ever been to in my life and and people ask why latin that's one reason because the language you, uh unites people it won't separate them by language like many uh at many other parishes you know you right. like you said you know you'll have your Vietnamese, Spanish, English, you know, all these different types of masses. Well, to to worship God together to sacrifice of mass, if it's in Latin, guess what? You don't have to speak all these different languages. Everybody just has to, uh, and you don't even have to, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. You don't even have to fully understand the Latin. You, for one, you've got a missile you can follow along with. Two, the more you go, you'll be surprised how much you pick up of Latin. And then three, just start reading through your your missal at, at home and whatnot, and then when you see the priest doing his, you know, either whether it's uh, vocal or silent prayers, you'll know what he's praying about without actually knowing every single word. And and that that's another reason that that the mass in Latin and, and the you know the the uh, knowledge of uh, not knowledge but the um, how the uh, what I'm trying to say is how the the, the church has led us you know, for over a thousand years and using Latin, you can see that their knowledge in that, and that, that it is a unifying language if, if you allow it to be. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Uh, the, well, Latin comes to us from the Lazio region of Italy, which is where Rome is situated. And that was the language that the Romans used was, was the language of the Latins. Okay. And so, Throughout the Roman Empire, that was the language, and the church, as it took up residence in Rome, began to use that language. Is that the only language in which you can pray to God? Of course not, and no. we would never make that claim. But I think, and this is how I kind of explain it to people when, they, when we talk about the Mass in Latin and why Latin, and I don't understand Latin, and I can't speak Latin, and that's that and that thing. I, I actually say I, I don't use a missile at Mass. Because to me, the Latin Mass is to be experienced. It's not so much just to be read. 
the thing where everybody's got to follow along in a missile, that didn't start till after the Second Vatican Council. And when you read Sacrosanctum Concilium, its big thing is the lay people have to actively participate. You'll see this thing, active participation is written in there a lot. And that means they got to have their head buried in the book and they got to be reading along with the priest and they got to be flipping through pages. Okay, we're in the confidior now, so that's on. Okay, that's over here in this section. They're flipping around and everything. Meanwhile, there is this sensory experience going on on the altar and you're missing it. When I see people come to our parish, Regina Chaley here in Houston, Texas, and they're first timers, they've never been to a Latin mass before in their lives. And um, I always show them where the missalettes are and they're right before you walk into the church. And I say, you're welcome to take a missalette to follow along with what's happening. But if this is your first time, my advice is watch the mass, experience the mass. You'll know when to stand and when to kneel because everybody else will do it. And the first, like the first time I saw a Latin mass, I thought I was in a mystical dream. I'd never seen anything like that before. What, what were those prayers he was saying? Who was he whispering to? <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I couldn't help. I wanted to go back as soon as I could. I mean, it's not like when I, and I've been to very reverent uh, Novus Ordo masses, and I've been to some that, that, would, that were in Latin and had Gregorian chant and everything. Nunciation does a the, great job of it. Oh, sure. I always felt like the priest was talking to me because he's facing me. He's looking at me. He's talking to me. We're talking about God. Yeah. But in the Tridentine Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, he, the priest wasn't talking to me. He was talking for me. And I get that. That's that's one of the things about about the liturgy that uh, to me is so beautiful. And I'm it's one of the big mysteries here in Traditionis Custodes that that this this beautiful liturgy, which has sustained the Catholic Church for two thousand years, got boiled down to I don't like those people. That's very sad. Yeah, and and I think you made excellent points uh, through all that because that that's what I was um, told the first time I went. At least the first few times I went to the Latin Mass was just to just to be there immerse yourself and watch um you know see see the miracle that's happening at the altar see the reverence and the beauty that 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 we are showing god to our our the best of our ability through the liturgy um and and, and you know i i've heard several other people be told the same thing so uh no no those, those are excellent points I, I like the way you put that i mean and and the thing about the Second Vatican Council, which is referenced a lot here in Traditionis Custodes, is um, one of the things that I've seen happen is the Second Vatican Council gets boiled down to the new mass. The, the Second Vatican Council is a, is a, is a, was, a, was a council that dealt with a lot of things, um, one of which was liturgical reform. Um, now, we'll, as, as episodes go on, we'll talk about Vatican II and, uh, I, and things I like about it and things I don't understand about it, and, and we'll get into that. But um, it's clear to me that, that uh, Pope Francis has taken the side of those who believe that, um, that, the, that, the, that Vatican Council II established a new religion. 
And that can't be true. No. There's just no way that can be true. Right? I mean, am I crazy? No, I mean, it can't be true. If it is true, then uh, we've got some soul searching to do. Yeah. I, and similarly speaking, and by the way, uh, if you're a set of a contest, uh, you know, you're more than welcome to listen to this podcast. You're not going to like anything I have to say uh, <laughs> because I am not a Sedeve contest uh, and I am not somebody who believes that the Catholic Church stopped being the Catholic Church in 1965. I, d I don't believe that that's true. If it is, then all is lost and uh, Satan has won, basically. And I refuse to accept that as a legitimate thing that can happen so yeah and and i and i know they would they would say they don't believe the catholic church has stopped you know just the the we haven't had a legitimate pope but even among that it's a very protestant mindset in the sense that some believe uh, uh pius XII was the last pope others believe a different one and right. then you've even got pope michael so <laughs> you know, hey, pope, if you're listening to this uh you, you keep on keeping on brother so don't uh um, <laughs> But 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 I'm but I'm right there with you. I mean, I I've read you know through through my conversion process to to the Catholic Church. I you know I did read and study up on the set of a contest position, but I don't see how the church could go this long without a visible head of the church on earth as as it had for 1965 years before. Right. Right. I mean, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, yes, I guess there have been times when the seat has been vacant I, for a, a period I, I, of time. Yeah, but, I know. was going to add that while they decide to pick another pope, or you know, right, uh, or what. But he's he's a canonically elected pope, and the idea that if he if he personally believed things that were contrary to the Catholic religion, that that would make him not the pope anymore. I don't know where people get that. That's not in canon law. You could you could. You could be a heretic and not, I mean, well, put it to you this way. Excommunication is something that happens for specific things. You can be in error and not necessarily be excommunicated. Now, I, I personally don't get into arguing, I'll put it to you this way. I don't feel like I'm in a position to argue theologically with the Catholic Church. So if... So to argue specific points of theology and, and point to things in certain encyclicals and say this is where Pope Francis is a heretic or promotes heresy, I, I, I don't go there. Well, know, this I, wouldn't be the first time we've had a pope or a bishop or a cardinal believe right. things or say things that were contrary to the faith. Um, and right. and it, it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just unfeasible to me, to see how you can accept those circumstances, but all of a sudden, because you don't like the changes in the mass and 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 whatnot, that all of a sudden he ceases to be. And I know they quote, you know, great saints like Saints Robert Bellarmine and stuff like that. Said that a you know a pope that that uh, persists in heresy, and I'm paraphrasing this as well, then no, then ceases to be pope. Well, for one, you got to finish his reading his writings because he meant, he talks about the Pope has to be convicted of right. heresy. Are me, you, and Jim Bob down the road as lay people can we uh, can we convict the Pope of heresy? No, we can't. So, to, to my knowledge, there is no ecclesiastical court that has the faculties to hear a case against the Holy Father. Yeah, and None. and and when you 
when you become to the point where you say that he is no longer Pope because of X, Y, and Z, and you believe that going against the magisterium of the church, you become a Protestant with sacraments. And, <laughs> and, uh, but let, let me add, so I, I know we kind of got off track there, but this letter, I think, that, I think you're still on track. Well, this letter that we got from Pope Francis, you know, he's worried about the, the division and, and whatnot from traditional Catholics. I think yeah. we just spent a good few minutes defending Pope Francis, which I will, you know, I've done this even in my personal life. You know, the, I, I'm going to defend the church regardless of who's Pope or, or who, you know, or, or, or who's leading us. But this idea that we want to create division, we want to, you know, uh, go off on our own, it's, it's not true. This is how traditional Catholics, in my experience, live our lives. We defend uh, uh, the Holy Father. We defend our cardinals and bishops when they're, you know, as far as being our leaders. Now, do we agree with everything? No. As I tell people all the time, I don't even agree with my wife on everything. Why am I, <laughs> I going to agree with you on everything? You, you know your wife's going to listen to this podcast, right? You know that. Well, you know, <laughs> I'll, tell her, I'll tell her, hey, the telephone's ringing for you. Uh, I mean, no, I, I, I completely agree. And the thing is, is the reason why we spend so much time defending Francis is that's what I want to do. I'd rather, I'd rather sit here and do a podcast about how great the Pope is. You know, who wants to sit here and trash the Pope of the Catholic Church? And I'm not arguing. The problem here, Traditionis Custodes doesn't mention anything theological. This is, this is about whether this was a good idea or not, essentially, right? It's I almost, can't. It's almost filled with just personal uh, convictions and conject. Like I said earlier, conjecture among a group of people you probably don't even know that well. And that's that brings me back to his to Fratelli, Fratelli Tutti. Uh, you know, one of the things he writes in Fratelli Tutti is the best way to dominate and gain control over people is to spread despair and discouragement, even under the guise of defending certain values. Today in many countries, hyperbole, extremism, and polarization have become political tools. Um, and it says that, uh, where was the part that I had here about him eliminating one's opponents and, um, and uh, I didn't, I didn't write it down. Son of a gun. That was that's typical. But essentially, what he says is is that um, you got to be leery of people who are constantly tell you to ignore the past um, and the wisdom of those who came before you in search of some grand new vision. Well, I think that there's some wisdom in those words, um, and you know, what, uh, just going along with uh, sort of what you were talking about, and you know, in terms of defending Francis and, and criticizing him. Um, I think Francis, in my opinion, do, well, now here, here we go. I do not think he quite, when I say he's a bad Pope, I don't mean he's a bad man who's the Pope. I mean, he doesn't seem to be very good at poping, if that's a word. He, I mean, this document is bad management. This is bad management written all over it, you know, uh, to, to simply not consult with the fraternity, to not even let them know, hey, this is, this is what I'm concerned about, guys. Now, you guys are the largest traditionalist society of apostolic life 
in the Catholic Church, you guys were established by the document Ecclesia Dei in light of everything that happened with the Society of St. Pius X. Way in here. This is what I'm concerned about. What do you see? And it didn't happen. And with a fraternity being who they are, that's why, you know, my mindset, and it goes back to a management aspect, because even in the corporate world, it's the, it's the same thing. I've run through something similar here recently with my own job about the respect aspect. You know, you with the fraternity being who they are, I would think the respectful thing to do would be to say, hey, guys, this is this is your whole life is this is the is the lat the traditional mass the traditional rights traditional lifestyle what is i'm hearing x y and z what is going on but it but like you said it doesn't seem like he even got their input now i may be wrong i, I don't know but but well, from, if, so if, from all if, accounts it's if we're wrong then the fraternity is lying to us when they say they they were surprised right i mean if we're wrong why is the fraternity surprised by this right i mean that doesn't you know and the fraternity is not, are they, these are not guys who like to go around picking fights with Catholic prelates. They are very uh, um, thankful to be anywhere where they are. And they don't like to make a lot of waves and they don't like to rock the boat. Why would they say that they were surprised if they had been consulted? It's just, it's a very strange thing to, if you're so concerned about it, why didn't you bother to learn anything about it? And and in the very beginning of this episode, you 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 made a uh, shall we say impassioned speech about you know the people that that were disturbed or upset or whatnot from from this motu proprio and i being a con I, I i know your experience is different your lived experience is different than mine in the sense that you know i'm a convert and when when these when these uh, controversies or these unclear teachings from from Pope Francis or even this comes out, it makes it that much harder sometimes for a convert to speak to their family about these things to try to convert them to the faith because they because you know they they see all these things whether some of them may be justified some of them unjustified and like you said I I don't want to be sitting here constantly going, oh, you know, playing Monday morning quarterback for Pope Francis or saying, oh, well, he was wrong on this, but you should but you should still follow him. You, I mean, yeah. that's really hard, and I know that's not necessarily a new battle, but, but documents like this that are really not necessary, in my humble opinion, just make it that much harder even in the conversion aspect of, uh, of converting people, especially among uh, family members where one may be Catholic and the other may be Protestant. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think my, my personal experience of this document was I was incredibly hurt because we had just come off from a year and a half where, um, you know, if you wanted to go to mass, you had to register. We, we, as members of the Knights of Columbus, our job, one of our, uh, ways that we were called to serve was to check people in. And if you weren't on the list, if there was room or somebody else, somebody didn't show up, we could let you in. But if they were where there was enough, as many people as we could fit, we had to turn people away from Holy Mass. We didn't enjoy doing that. We didn't like having to do that. But we we played ball. I feel like we have done. We we have given up a lot in and to to at the and the end of this, um, 
be told that we're bad people simply by existing, um, it hurt my feelings. And I know that there are people out there who, for whatever reason or another, were already struggling to find reasons to stay, to find reasons to continue on in the spiritual life. And there, I can guarantee you, there are people out there who said, this is the final straw, I'm done with the Catholic Church. Please, I, and, and while I will absolutely give you that you have every right to feel that way, I totally get it. Um, the Blessed Virgin Mary, think about the Blessed Virgin Mary at Calvary. If anybody should have been done with humanity, it should have been her. She never did anything wrong. She never did, she never did a bad thing to anybody. She lived a sinless life. That's how the world treated her son. They stripped him naked, tortured him, nailed him to two by fours and left him to die in the sun. But look at, look at her reaction to that. She put everything in God's hands and stayed faithful. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. If you're at that point where you're like, I'm done. And I get that you feel that way. Put that in our lady's hands, put that, nail that to the cross too, because I'm telling you, uh, we're going to win this fight. The mass isn't Amen. going to die. Okay. Uh, if the ma if if we could kill the if the human race could kill the Latin right, we would have done it already. The the Roman right has faced tougher foes than Jorge Bergoglio. I I, I assure you. Oh, by far, yes, by far. Um, and I want to I want to read you something just a just a quick sentence or Please. a quick line I should say from and hopefully I pronounce this right Sacro Sanctum Concilium. Very good. That's good. That's good pronunciation, bro. I'm working on my Latin. You must go to Latin mass. <laughs> so did you, did you know that? Did you know that? Um, uh, while we're translating, did you know that "Traditionis Custodes" is actually Latin for "I'm the Pope and you're not"? Na 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 na. Did you know that? No. Here, let me type it in my computer. <laughs> let me verify that. I, 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 have, I have a sneaking suspicion. No, that's a true story, bro. <laughs> that's a true story, bro. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I hijacked your quote. Sacrosanctum concilium. Hit me. So, so this idea that as um, as Catholics we we you know we reject everything Vatican to you know in the traditional circles. Just just in the introduction here, and here's something that I agree with wholeheartedly. It says uh, talking about Holy Mother Church. Uh, that she wishes to preserve them in the future and to foster them in every way. The council also desires that where necessary, the rights be revised carefully in the light of sound tradition and that they be given new vigor to meet the circumstances and needs of modern times. Okay. And I, okay. and it makes me think with this motu proprio, I, I, I want to focus on the last line here is, and, and I know this is, this is specifically talking about the liturgy, but I think the point, can be made in other aspects as well that they be given new vigor to meet the circumstances and needs of modern times how does this motu proprio meet the circumstances and needs of modern times well i have got an answer for you you ready what you got to understand is 
the modern the the modern world that Vatican II is trying to adapt the church to is 1965. I want you to think about how the changed. Think about how the world has changed since the year 2000. Now we're talking about 40 years before that. There's, for example, there's a there's a document in Vatican II that deals with uh, how Catholics. This, it's a it's a it's a constitution on on media and communications. The word internet does not appear in that document, and why would it? It was yeah, written in 1965. Exactly. Now I want you to imagine, in a, in a modern context, thinking about communication and media, and not thinking about the internet. It's impossible, and that's if I have a beef with Vatican II. It is that the world continued to evolve past 1965 in ways that the Council Fathers never could have imagined. And as much as they accuse us of living in the past, there is a section of the Catholic hierarchy that cannot get out of the 60s. I, I believe Francis is one of them. I don't think, for, for all of his... Uh, you know, he, he, for all of his caring about modern society and how much he cares about, I don't think he understands the modern world very much. And, and this document is to me proof of well, that. And I think uh, we, we have our society, we live in such a degenerate, sinful society. Um, you know, currently, at least versus what we what we did say fifty, sixty years ago, and I know I, I know throughout history every civilization has gone through these horrible periods. I mean, at least you know. Well, I was going to say at least we don't have child sacrifice, but that's what abortion is. Just under the, <laughs> yeah, no, just, you're right. Just under the lights of a doctor's room. Sure. Um, but 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 either way, um, the culture of death. Has, the culture of death is uh, doing pretty good right now. I went but, back and read. I went back read recently and read Evangelium Vitae and everything John Paul II predicted about the culture of death. I mean, you, you, you'd have thought he wrote that yesterday. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 no. You're, uh, you for one, you're right about that. Um, but what I was saying is, just in the way our society, at least in my lifetime, has degenerated. People are thirsting for tradition and are thirsting for truth. That is one reason Absolutely. I believe that the, at least here in the U.S., the traditional Catholic Church is exploding, is exploding, because people are like, I am, okay, I, I've been told for 40 years, free love, free sex. I've been told, doesn't matter who you marry, love is love. I've been told, I've been told a boy can be a girl, a girl can be a boy. And people were like, no, there are absolute truths in the world. And where can I find those absolute truths? And, and the, you can find them in the Holy Catholic Church, but you can also go back to a liturgy of the saints and say, this may great saints, I want to make, make my children great saints. Right. Well, it, it's interesting you talked about how... Uh... The church is the, the the Latin the Latin mass is exploding and seeing a resurgence, particularly among young people. There was a um, a quote from um, that I that I got from another podcast um, uh, that whose name I can't remember right now, and I apologize. But shout out to you if you're listening to this, which you're not. But anyway, um, Professor Vigalone uh, wrote an article, 
and he talks about how um, the bitterness that's driving these modernist innovator bishops who have been facing declining dioceses and parish closures to try and enlist the Pope's help to stop the exodus of faithful Catholics fleeing their meager offerings in search of a meaningful Mass. Concluding that, quote, it was the uncontainable success among the people, and in particular among young people, that the Mass of all time found after Benedict XVI's motu proprio, um, uh, Samorum Pontificum, that was the triggering factor for this hatred. Professor Vigiloni reminds us that we are witnessing, quote, the hermeneutic of Cain's envy against Abel. And so there's that, there's an interest that, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, I mean, it's so true, but it's, but it's such a crazy way to think about it. The hermeneutic of envy, you know, and uh, I, I, but again, let's, let's say you, you really thought that. Isn't the point of the Catholic Church to save souls, not to be right? Or not to, and I think part of the problem is too, is the Catholic world, or I shouldn't say the Catholic world, the Catholic, uh, some of our leaders are trying too hard to be accepted by the world. You know? Oh, well, that's, yeah, and that's going to happen. I mean, the world... Instead of, instead of looking for the conversion of souls. Well, yeah, there's, there's a big section of the bishops who the only currency they trade in is human respect. Um, and because what they figured was, well, the traditionalist movement are a bunch of wacko, you know, fringe group. They don't have any human respect, so we can just steal on them and nobody's going to complain. We can abuse them and nobody will care. What they didn't quite realize, because they didn't bother to talk to anybody who didn't already think the way they think, is that this movement is a little bit bigger than just uh, a bunch of kooky people who deny the Holocaust. Uh, <laughs> those, those people are largely gone from our movement. And instead, what you have are millions of faithful Catholics, n n more than a few bishops, and even some cardinals who think that what we're doing is pretty great. He's painted himself in a little bit of a corner here, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens in the coming weeks. Speaking of the coming weeks, before we go, because we only got about three minutes, I want to go ahead and tell everybody who's listening to us, we will have an email address coming soon by the next time you hear from us. I'd like to come back next week and continue to talk about this, because I think there's a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to be... There's going to be more content here. There's going to be more ways that um, you can uh, hopefully contribute and uh, have your voice heard on this podcast. We want to talk about things you want to talk about. Um, if this wasn't, if the sound quality wasn't perfect, we're working on it. We will get better the more of these we do. This was our first episode. And um, when we come back, I, Jason, you good to come back next week? Yeah, I'm good. Because there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> If, well, if there was, you know, if there was anything wrong with the podcast, it was probably Jason's fault. Um, I think we're pretty much in agreement on that. So. Oh, one hundred percent. No, I'm just teasing you, brother. I'm just teasing you. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna go ahead and sign off now because uh, we want to keep this to an hour. But uh, I really think it's great that you guys joined us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you back here next week. And we're gonna continue talking about Tradicios Custodes. We're gonna continue looking at how the Catholic world reacts to this. We're gonna get more into that. I think next week, and uh, I really hope you guys will see us. So until that, till then, uh, thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless everyone.